Hello, and welcome to today's podcast. You are listening to the interview section of the weekly sports piece. In this section, we talk with authors about the papers that we discuss on the podcast. Today, I'm very glad to talk to Tracy Taylor. I think it's really difficult to give a decisive background for someone like Tracy, so I'm going to try my best. Tracy received a PhD from the University of New South Wales in 2005. And since then, Tracy has worked at many different places. She worked at the University of Technology in Sydney until 2019, and she's currently a visiting professor for the Executive Masters in Sport Organizations Management in Lausanne, very nice place in Switzerland. She worked at Victoria University and at RMIET in Melbourne, Australia. So Tracy uh, was a past editor for Sport Management Review and European Sport Management Quarterly. And right now, she's still on the editorial board on several journals, for example, Managing Sport and Leisure and International Journal of Sport Management and Marketing. So if you plan to publish in these journals, it might make sense to listen closely to what Tracy is saying today. Tracy has more than 100 publications, research papers, book chapters, and books, and she published academic articles in prestigious journals such as Tourism Management, Sports Management Review, European Sports Management Quarterly, Journal of Sport Management, Sport Education and Society, Event Management and Leisure Sciences, and this is only an extract, so there are many more. And the last time I checked, and that was like five minutes ago, Tracy had 5,527 citations. So that's quite a lot. And before I would start, I would like to mention one paper that specifically grabbed my attention. We're not going to talk about this paper in depth today, but this one was really interesting to me. And this is critical reflections on the economic impact assessment of a mega event, the case of 2002 FIFA World Cup. And what Tracy does in this paper is looking at the differences between World Cup tourists and non-World Cup tourists for the 2002 FIFA World Cup. And specifically, she looks at tourists that come to the World Cup only for the World Cup and the other tourists. And she says that tourists are not homogeneous because World Cup tourists tend to spend more. So this is a really important distinguishment between the different types. And this was a very novel and interesting research. So I thought it made sense to include it here. But today we are going to talk about another of Tracy's research. So as you see, this was a really long introduction, but I'm very happy and grateful, Tracy, that you found the time for this conversation. Tracy, welcome. And thank you very much for making room for us. It's my pleasure to be with you today and to be discussing this really fascinating topic that is quite dear to my heart. And I will also say in relation to the 2002, wow, that sounds like a long time ago, paper, <laughs> that there's still opportunities for doing follow-ups in looking at whether that's changed over time. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think what you find in there is still relevant today. So I thought it's not only a paper that has been cited many times, but also it's something that is still relevant. So that's why I wanted to mention it. But let's have a look at your paper that we discuss in our podcast. So it's called A Balancing Act, 
women players in a new semi-professional team sport league. You examine the position of women rugby players in a newly established semi-professional league. So for me, it was really intriguing. How did you come up with this idea? Well, it was, I guess, a very timely topic. In Australia, we had a few women team sports that had decided that it was about time to create a national league for women to compete either as professional or semi-professional. And rugby league was one of those sports who were encouraged not only by the general community to create a league for women's teams, but also, interestingly, um, very much spurred on about sponsors who wanted to sponsor, let's say, a clean skin product. If anyone knows a little bit about rugby league, they may be aware that um, while the teams and the players make headlines for doing fantastic things on the field, they also make headlines for boys behaving badly things <laughs> off the field. <laughs> and there is a desire in the sponsorship community to be aligned with a league and with women who would be perceived as projecting a different image or a different brand for rugby league. So the National Rugby League were keen to make sure that the inaugural season was informed by players' views, and that's what kick-started our research. We went in and we were independent researchers that canvassed women that would potentially be competing for places on the initial teams that were in the league about what they would be looking for in the structure, the content, the human relationship side of developing a league for women to play rugby league. That is super interesting to me. But you were not alone writing this paper. So you had Hunter Fujek, Claire Hanlon and Donna O'Connor. So is this the usual group for you and how is it working with them? Well, Donna and I were on the Rugby League Research Committee for a number of years together and we came from different perspectives into Rugby League. Donna's more from the coaching, sports science side, um, sport injuries, and I'm more from the sport management people side of things. So that was a nice combination. Uh, Claire Hanlon was appointed to an inaugural chair in women's sport at Victoria University. So we felt that that was a useful addition to the team. And Hunter is a sport tragic. <laughs> And he came more from, I guess, the business side of sport. So it was a nice combination. For me, it was really interesting when I read your paper and also as a researcher, You work not only together with players, but you also work together with coaches and manager executives. So they had to fill out questionnaires and you had interviews. So I know <laughs> if you read this paper, it's like, okay, but if you know this research, you know how much work it is. So it really seems like a lot of work. But first, was it enjoyable to you? But also, what was for you, let's say, the most challenging part Of this paper. Great point. And I guess the biggest workload was getting not so much the players, but the coaches and managers to complete 
the surveys, uh, players to a certain degree, and also making sure that we captured athletes' voices fully. And that, in the first instance, was quite easy because we went to a training camp where every potential player was present, and we scheduled uh, four concurrent series of interviews in four different rooms, and we just ran through them in two days. So that, I guess, was relatively easy. (laughs) The follow-ups were harder, particularly because in the first season and the second, players were only contracted in a very short time leading up to the season, And then they exited. So getting in contact with them was difficult. And in the first couple of seasons, the coaches were also changing teams and being changed over. So high turnover. So continuity was not, I guess, a hallmark of the first few seasons. But as we've gone on, that stabilized quite a bit. Okay, so I think as a reader, it's super easy to underestimate this. But as a researcher, you directly see, oh, that's so much work. And I really give you a lot of credit for that. And when I read it, I thought that, okay, you're taking rugby, but maybe it is more generalizable. So maybe for other leagues. And do you think apart from major sports leagues that, for example, this might be generalizable to smaller sports or amateur or semi-professional leagues. So what do you think could be similar for other sports and countries? Yeah, great question. And we were quite fortunate that this research kicked off an idea about expanding it into three other sports. And Claire Hanlon, myself, and we brought in Christine Tui, were able to get the Australian Research Council that we're just finishing up because COVID interrupted. So it's now gone over uh, four years instead of three years. But that was looking at three different sports and their journeys to professionalization and the women's experiences. And in the selection of those sports, we were able to get a sport that was just coming in to moving from amateur to semi-professional, a sport that was fully semi-professional and a sport that you would say is probably the most professional in the Australian sport environment. And a lot of similar issues arose and many commonalities, but some differences as the sports progressed through that, I guess that continuum from being fully amateur to being fully professional. That is super interesting. And I think that this research project, I don't want to exaggerate, but I think it might represent your general research interests? Because I see that you're really interested in both women's sports and diversity and inclusion in sport. And I think that was a nice example for what you're doing. So do you have something in this line of research that is coming out in the future? Or what are your next plans for that? Well, the research project that I was just describing, we have a paper under review. I won't say for which journal, might jinx it. (laughs) Hopefully that should come out in the next few months, be accepted and come out. We've got a couple of other papers from that project, including a systematic literature review, which was published in Sport Management Review earlier this year, which basically pointed to the lack of literature in this area which I think is ripe for examination globally, because this is not a phenomena that's unique to Australia. 
If you look around the world, you're seeing the rise of women's leagues everywhere, women's competitions in team sport. And I'm not talking about the long established sport like tennis and golf, but the football, the ball sports, football, cricket, you know, a range of different sports that are now popping up in countries or across countries and being very viable competitions. We just look at the final, the English women's team won the football final and the number of audiences or eyeballs it drew. And what we're seeing is the sports administrators going from being skeptics that if you put a women's product, you're going to get people to pay for it and actually go to games, to being absolutely overwhelmed by the community support, the way in which women are seen as role models and showing up and really starting to get a strong following in sports that were considered marginal at best for any sustainable or viable or commercial product for the women's leagues. This is really super interesting. And I think you have so much background in this area. So I ask myself, so I'm coming up to the final question. And this is one that I chose myself really because I was interested in your research. And I thought, you have this experience in gender issues and diversity, diversity in sports, and you've been an editor for several years. And suppose you could direct junior researchers or researchers into one area or one focus in this line of research. What would you suggest? So what would you, let's say, what are the topics that you think? Well, it's always good to follow your passion, Cornell. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because as you know, as we discussed earlier, this is hard work and you've got to be committed. But I think there's a lot of scope in general in inclusion and belonging. And depending on your theoretical perspective or your, your stance philosophically, you could tackle it from a range of different angles because you know what I'm seeing even in work that we're doing with women with disability and community sport and Paralympics telling us their stories about how they were able to develop their sporting prowess and compete as Paralympians is that that sense of belonging whether it's at the community level whether it's in the team whether it's in the organization or the league is so important. So how do you foster that inclusion? And that yep. means, you know, being open to various ways of looking at the world. And I think that's you know, something that's quite fascinating and researchers can pick up from such a, a range of different angles. Tracy, I completely agree with you. That was really interesting for me and I hope for the audience as well. Thank you for visiting our podcast. I hope you had a good time and it was great my pleasure really great thank you this is everything for today's interview thank you for listening to the weekly sports piece bye for now bye everyone <laughs>